Hello, friends. It's your Chapo for this week. Uh, as you probably know, we've been in L.A. for all of last week, and this is the first time we've recorded since we've gotten back. Obviously, we banked uh, a couple of episodes while we were out there. Uh, so this is our, our first time all back together again in New York, and obviously, since we've last recorded, uh, a lot has happened, and basically... I think we're all aware that there's a conversation taking place right now about sexual assault that has permeated basically every aspect of politics, media, culture, just everything and everyone at this moment. Uh, yeah, so obviously there's a massive conversation going on right now about sexual assault. Um, and as a, as a feminist who's written about sexual violence before, um, and particularly the media's treatment of it, um, we discussed very seriously how to uh, address this on the show, and I actually ended up vetoing um, having a, a show centered around it um, for two reasons, really. Um, one, I think the people having the conversation right now are handling it very well, and two, I think the we are not equipped to have the conversation. I actually, I do love my five male coworkers, but I think a conversation about rape coming from five men and one woman would in fact actually be uh, counterproductive to the conversation. Um, and on top of that, I mean, I don't want to come in to work to my job and have to talk about rape with all my coworkers at the comedy podcast where I work at. Uh, so instead of having a very ill-fated effort at um, approaching a topic that I don't think we as a comedy podcast would be very good at addressing, uh, we'll be donating $10,000 to the Victim Right Law Center. Um, they provide legal services that help victims stay in school, uh, it protects their confidential medical records, preserves their employment, maintains safe housing, securing immigration, and accesses victims' compensation. Um, they also train advocates, lawyers, medical professionals, campus administrators all over the country to do the same thing. And as a, as a final note, um, I know it's been a very hard week, um, and to anyone having a a hard time right now, um, I know there's a lot of focus on pain and violence, but if I could give any advice at all, it would be that regardless of how you are feeling at the moment or whatever you're reliving, I want people to know that you are capable of waking up and feeling very strong and full of joy, and there is life after even the most terrible things that can happen to you. And um, we're more resilient than we could ever imagine. Um, and I think the movement has shown that you have a lot of support out there. So on with the show. The link for the uh, Victims' Rights Law Center will be in the description to the show. Again, I would encourage you to donate as well or to a similar organization. So... On with the show for this week. Uh, we have a bunch of topics. We got some reading series. Let's get to it, guys. <laughs> no, 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 
So basically, uh, as we're recording right now, uh, Richard Spencer is at the University of Florida giving his speech. They've been uh, preparing all week for this, for uh, Spencer Geddon. And from what I can see, it looks like he's in an auditorium with like a few dozen people being booed. And he's like stalking up and down the stage saying, what you're doing right now only makes me more powerful. You don't know how bad you look. I think this is, I'm impressed. This is an alpha ass way to go about creating an ethno state is whining about people booing you. That's what the Irgun did in, in uh, pre-48. They went around Israel uh, saying that sports are a vapid affair for guys to receive high fives and not read books. And then they got booed at the King David Hotel, and we all know what happened there. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny is that he is this dandy in a fucking waistcoat disdaining sports ball. He literally said sports ball. Sports ball. People, ball. Started chanting, Wait, really? go, people started chanting go Gators over him, <laughs> and he goes, bringing up sports ball is not a very good, not very becoming of a, le- not a leftist argument. movement. Yeah. Next up, I mean, this, this connects to sort of campus issues, campus free speech and activism. <clears throat> Uh, did we all see the uh, TPUSA guy uh, getting diaped up to own <laughs> oh the libs? Oh, my God. Oh, man. I say that, and I Matt, you said that is actually just a Randy G-Dub tweet from like a year ago. It's, it's him. It's a million people a, made that joke. It, it started when Gavin McGinnis had all of his dipshit followers lie down and toilets. There was the guy who literally dumpsters. lay down face first in an empty dumpster. Yeah. That was really the beginning of the idea that these guys were going to publicly humiliate themselves. And somehow it would be the libs who were owned by that. And then that un- the end result of that is a 19-year-old man on the campus of the Kent State University wearing a t-shirt tucked in to diapers and thinking, you well, are certainly owned by dapper. this. He's, he's, yes, he's dapper and diaper. He's going to job interview yeah. in and that like, diaper and we're, we're he tucks it in. And, uh, and, and like the whole point was like safe spaces are for babies, so I'm going to dress like an adult baby in public to own the libs who are triggered by seeing an adult man in a diaper, which I got to say, I would be bothered by seeing in a public context. So this is a, this is a TPUSA, uh, Young Americans for Freedom. So it's TPUSA, YAF, and of course, uh, ABDL. <laughs> By the way, kudos to TPUSA for having a guy in a fucking diaper. I mean, like enough people don't yeah, already call you Toilet yeah. Paper USA. Virgil, weren't you saying it was a different group? Uh, no, no, that was right. It was Young Americans for, Li- Young Americans for Liberty. Oh, YAL. Uh, what I was talking about, somebody pointed this out, that this is a human tableau of a Ben Garrison cartoon. <laughs> this is the... <laughs> This is this is the sleep no more of Ben Harris cartoons. He's sitting in this this diorama, this this like a uh, uh, playpen area, sucking on a pacifier with like building blocks. I'm curious if he like was sitting there, was if he was telling passersby like you know making some cogent argument, or was he just go Google Gaga? He was like he was like a Barney when he was like, I have the big baby, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> But the I, thing I, is, is that the Garrison cartoon, the babies are the libs. Yes. But they're doing it. Well, but they're being the libs. The lib. They're being, yeah, they're at, but how is acting. that? How is, acting. I'm not wearing a diaper, buddy. You're wearing a diaper. <laughs> that would be cool if he was like the Jared Leto of uh, campus protests. And like he just got so into being a baby that him and his roommate, his roommate would put him in a baby in a baby Bjorn and they would fall down the stairs. <laughs> and he, his, roommate, his roommate, he would try to get his roommate to do mal lactation he's just such a method actor i think the do only we know who this man is 
because I, I tried to find out, I couldn't find it. I feel like there's a real possibility he, he just, just yeah, found. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, but. he just found a way to yes, be in a diaper exactly. in public. <laughs> this is the guy yeah. who has always wanted to be in a diaper in public. And they were having like, one of their meetings, a sexual this fetish. awful Kent State conservative movement where the, last week they were handing out triggered, they were pretending to be cops and handing out triggered uh, uh, tickets to people. He's standing around with these awful friends and he goes, hey guys, uh, would, you know who would really uh, uh, own the libs is if, is if I, <laughs> I wore a diaper in public. I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to be uh, nude, crawling around on my hands and knees, being led on a dog leash uh, by a woman in all leather to own the lips. You know, I mean, if, we could, if you wanted to, this is just spitballing, but here's what we could do. I could write, like, freedom and liberty on my balls, and maybe you could wear a high-heeled <laughs> pump that said big government, <laughs> and then you could just maybe, I don't know, stomp on them for a little bit. I mean, it's just, you know... no. No wrong ideas in brainstorming. Going back to the Walther episode and just thinking about someone writing the Constitution on a whole bunch of hamsters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, did you hear Richard Gere got the Magna Carta stuck up his ass? By far the most unnerving aspect was that he tucked the shirt in. Yeah, that which, was horrifying. Which well, like he boss. is a conservative, well, after all. Well, it says to me he, he put on the diaper, and then he, he looked at himself in the mirror and was like, this is too sloppy. I should... I should hey, he got a little on. bow tie to go with it. Did he, like... Do you think he, you know, pissed and shit in it? Uh, I, think <laughs> I, he, I think he did I, something else in it, I don't honestly. think I know. I think there was a third... There's a third substance well, I mean, in those. Yeah, there's a third something, but isn't it, it is an addition to the other two substances? Oh yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> They're I, all in there. I would say if I had to wear a diaper for political reasons, <laughs> if, I, if I were somehow thrust in that situation, I probably would would, would think to myself, "Oh, I got to go to the bathroom." Wait, what am I talking about, <laughs> uh, Mr. Coke? We're sorry to bother you, but uh, can can Joey shit in a diaper? <laughs> it's fine. Astronauts do it. I love the idea of the Coke brothers showing up at their. Un- underground fucking lair one day and they've got their outlay of their political propaganda thing. We're spending five million dollars on diapers? (laughs) That was the bet. I already said this, but like imagine Charles Koch like fresh off of doing deals with Stalin and Hitler and they're like, you achieve all your goals. Charles Koch Sr., right? Charles Koch Sr., yeah. They're like, Fred Koch, Fred Koch. Fred Koch, my bad. Fred Koch. They're like, you achieve all your goals. Like your family has enormous wealth and control over politics. But also like this, and they show them the diaper. <laughs> they they show them diaper boy, and then just a picture of Charlie Kirk's face. Yeah, Charlie Kirk grinning. He sees Charlie, Charlie Kirk's, Kirk's just gums. like just gum, just gum like <laughs> visage with just his tiny dolphin teeth and huge gums, <laughs> just grinning and looking quizzical on a meme that's just like like freedom of speech. Then be a Republican. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just to point out that it really is to the point where. Their only strategy, and this is true, Spencer, is just to get people mad at them. There's no actual agenda. They don't have a positive vision. I mean, these kids are paid to do this shit. Uh, There's no groundswell of people who agree with their positions. They're really just operating in this oppositional context where people getting mad at them, I guess proves a point about free speech, but what it really just does is it shows that at this point, politics is pure resentment and making your ba- making people you don't like unhappy. 
And if you do that, it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Well, if I guess you make that's the people you don't. That's money like well spent. Unhappy, then you have succeeded. Well, I was going to say it's uh, money well spent because every time I see Charlie Kirk's face, I do in fact feel unhappy. Yeah. Well, you've been owned. Congratulations. <laughs> yep. Well, Charlie Kirk is on a campus tour now called "Melting Snowflakes and Destroying Socialism," and then he uh, uh, rolls right off the tongue that name. Absolutely. He tweeted about it and said, uh, "Yeah, I'm expecting you know protests here from all the people I've triggered." It's like nobody knows who you are. Literally, your mic is literally on your dick. What was that? Was that the truth you just said oh. <laughs> about Syria? Yeah. <laughs> You'll never know. Uh, and no one in Antifa is like, "Oh my God, Charlie Kirk is triggering me by saying that businesses need smaller taxes." <laughs> <He's> just, <laughs> I know it's like it, it's it's cheap and obvious but i mean like it, i think it is worth pointing out that like every other statement from charlie kirk is literally crying about football players not respecting the flag and the national anthem so i mean like it's a i know hypocrisy is like the cheapest you know well, vice to point that's out just but, it, is that we're all snowflakes yeah we're all constantly melting and being triggered and demanding safe spaces there is no no one isn't doing that. That's what politics is. It's it's just you're just launching shit balls at each other into your respective foxholes, and the yeah hypocrisy is dead. That's not a meaningful nah, thing. I everyone is just everyone is a snowflake. Everyone's getting triggered. Everyone is just everyone is weaponizing their fragility. Yes, and savoring their opponent's discomfort. That's all. It, it's just. It's just. It's like those people in. in it's the libidinal inferno. antagonism that never even has like an end in sight. Yes. Like there's no final project. Basically, everybody in America who has any kind of political identity is the people in Dante's Inferno who are frozen in the lake with their most hated enemy in a position where they're just gnawing on each other's heads for the rest of eternity. That's us. We read books. We read more <laughs> book podcasts. Well, a little book called Dante's Inferno. Well, Dante's Inferno inspired a book that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as we're talking about uh, people being offended, uh, people being offended. Uh, here's something very offensive that I read this week, and that is the uh, the Grand Supreme Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran referred to our president as, quote, mentally retarded. I loved all the people who were like, seriously, I told the <laughs> There seriously were people doing that, and it's like, first of all... <laughs> There's no first of all. I'm reading here. Yeah. Iran's supreme leader... Do has better, Ayatollah. I mean, do I, better. I, it's like, do you know that Iran, like, executes hundreds of people a year? <laughs> well, after... Well, the Ayatollah responded and said, are you triggered? Like, yeah, did yeah. I trigger you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let, let, on, the, on the blessed day, in the blessed day of Ashura, let it, let it be known. Facts do not care about your feelings. <laughs> the Imam Ali died at Karbala. For logic. I just, you know, it says, I'm reading from the Irish Times here. It says, Iran's supreme leader has described Donald Trump as, quote, mentally retarded as he urged Europe to do more to back the 2015 nuclear deal following the U.S. president's refusal to recertify the pact. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with him, but I just wish he wouldn't use that language. Yeah, do something cool. Be like Kim Jong-un and use an old-timey phrase that nobody uses anymore, like yeah, daughter. You would almost mean really the same thing. really use that, right? It was, that was the closest translation. Yeah, right. We need more of that shit. Like, Maybe that's a really a, common there, word. In, there's got to be a Farsi word like for a, an old man whose brain doesn't work anymore. The, the leader of the, the IRGC called Trump a adult-pated 
dunce cap who, uh, I don't know. Where's some other old timey? Uh... Uh, he called him a gin soaked pop and jay. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny if like Al Jaber, like the uh, Saudi foreign minister, called him out for ableism. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new turf of the Sunni Shia war. Just like you guys, like Matt and Amber were talking about it. Just them finding problematic statements, hitting <laughs> each other for it. Kassam Suleimani, the, the Kassam Suleimani. We are sending you on your most dangerous mission yet. Search from Minister Al Jubair, uh, just all these slurs. Type all of them <laughs> in. It's a top secret mission. Well, I mean, in related in related to this, can anyone explain to me the controversy that happened this week with Trump and the Gold Star Mother and the phone call to her? And now General yeah. Kelly is doing damage control this week. And I may have read this wrong, but apparently during a press conference today, he said he would only take questions about this issue from reporters who also know, personally know Gold Star families. <laughs> what if you just thought that wow. meant, what if you just thought Gold Star like in the preschool sense? You mean, oh yeah, I know some really good families. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been to Gold Star Chile? Do, wait, what if you Is meant, that an what, Ohio thing? Yeah. <laughs> wait, what if what what if Gold Star families is what John Kelly calls Jews? <laughs> That's what I call them now. Every hand in the Every room shoots up. <laughs> Jared bumbles out. He's like, "Ooh, I have a lot of questions." I can't get the coffee machine to work. <laughs> Nobody will tell me the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> No, it is so expensive. It's a a classic Trump oafishness where the actual horror of the of the fact that we have fucking secret ops in Niger that nobody knew about until these four guys got killed. That's off the radar. Who cares? That's assumed. Yeah, of course, we got guys in Niger running around training troops and doing stuff that we have no idea. One of them didn't get a call from the president. And then Trump oafishly tried to repair that after first claiming that. Uh, well, you know, nobody else calls troops. What do you, what do you want from me? None of the other presidents called troops. Well, he families. said Obama never called. Well, he said Obama, even other presidents, they don't do it. And Obama called Taliban fighters who died. He called their families <laughs> all the time. Uh, uh, just shoot the shit. Uh, your your <laughs> son is in paradise right now. He, he is martyred. Blessed be unto him. He has died a martyr's death. There is nothing more glorious in the eyes he, of Allah. Uh, he is enjoying uh, 72 uh, virgins. Put up more of those videos. Really good. <laughs> Uh, but then, of course, everyone freaked. All the all the regular, all the Obama people were just how freaked dare out. You, how sir. dare you, sir? Yeah. You have no decency left. Uh, yeah, uh, Obama, the first thing he did when he got in office was fucking murk a 16-year-old because yeah. the cell phone told us that he was near the wrong guy. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, yeah, he had to do that. But he absolutely, when our guys die, he called them and said some platitude well, to them. Actually, this is the perfect segue because this is like sort of a a larger uh, thing that's been bugging me, and I, I think this is a good opportunity to talk about it right now because it is in the news at the moment. Obviously, we all know Trump is a buffoon and awful, and then the Obama people are like, how dare you, sir? I remember when we had a real commander-in-chief. But again, people forget there was also another president that we had in very recent history who people have forgotten about or they're rediscovering now, but rediscovering a certain affection for him. And of course, I'm talking about President George W. Bush. And he's in the news today because he gave a speech last night that is being hailed as his official denunciation of Donald Trump and bigotry. And he says here, 
Uh, he said in a speech just last night at the uh, a forum focused on security and sponsored by, conveniently, the George W. Bush Institute. He says, bigotry seems emboldened. Our politics seem more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and outright fabrication, said Bush. And uh, ultimately, this assault won't succeed, but foreign aggressions, including cyber attacks, disinformation, and financial influence should never be downplayed or tolerated. So he's talking about Russia, but he also explicitly denounced uh, white supremacy and said, bigotry or white supremacy in any form is blasphemy against the American creed. And he's getting a lot of... Blasphemy against America. God, remember when the right wing just like was just like switching between flag and cross and like that was the entire thing that yeah, we that was to, like it was an identifiable set of of points it's like they're going to go between these two things whenever it's convenient and now we have a man who has mad cow disease and there's just literally no way it's, there's there's no points he's yeah. just all over the place yeah it used to be that uh people like bush who had that like psychopathic evangelical mindset it was worshiping god but it's really america but now it's just straight up worshiping america there's no god in between like trump will get up there and talk about like his favorite part of his favorite book in the bible was return of the jedi but like yeah and now just worshiping america but it's america more is what it is it's america as it's like, just avarice and spite and just petty greed it's worshiping but all also, donald trump's fucking those grudges two points it's it's just so much harder to predict what yeah. the fuck well, he's gonna do because it just depends who he's talking right. to at the moment exactly because this thing this week with the gold star mother that caused the big controversy it basically boiled down to he had to talk to a person who had lost a family member and he's a fucking, you know, mercenary sociopath with down with, you know, uh, brain damage. So, uh, I mean, Bush, everyone thought he was dumb, but that's the kind of thing that that church and, you know, church and, and flag kind like of he has teachings. Yeah. Nationalism made it easy. Like he could knock off 15 of those calls in a day being like your son's sacrifice is sacrificed at his consecrated by America. And. Trump's just like, hey, he knew what he signed up for. What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's like going back to that speech, Bush, there's this verbal tick I noticed with all everyone who makes a speech like this, whether it's like a never Trump cuck or a fucking lib or whoever. It's always about how nothing is true anymore. Which is amazing because, like, okay, what, when when was the era of truth? When the biggest newspaper in the world uh, fucking made some shit up so we could colonize Cuba? Was it uh, was it the New York Times and the run to the Iraq War? But just in that next statement, he talks about white supremacy as it's as if it's this thing that Trump made up. As if it the only way you see white supremacy is if someone builds a wall or if someone has nativist rhetoric. But it's like. One of the most white supremacist actions you can do is fucking invade a country because your dad's friends were like, yeah, it will be good for everybody. No, Not he, find what you're looking he, for, I'm, kill two million fucking people, okay. and then say you did it for a different reason, and then everyone forgives you. Him and fucking David Frum, too, who now is also, you know, uh, I don't know, a tenured member of, like, the anti-Trump resistance or whatever. Who agrees with him on border security? Like, the core of his nativist thing. Saying, Th- those guys, the Bush administration, helped launch a completely fraudulent war based largely on the idea that Americans couldn't tell Arabs apart. If that isn't fucking racist, I don't know what is. And then killed a few million people. And here's, 
Here's the thing that I think absolutely has to be said. I'm, I'm shocked more people haven't brought this up. Now, there's still time, and Trump has a very high ceiling of terrible shit to do, but it cannot be said enough. The first Bush administration, particularly his first term, is light years more abominable than anything Trump has done so far. That's a big caveat, I understand. But the first Bush administration and everyone involved in it is a million times more evil than anything Trump has ever done thus far. Yeah, it's basically the difference between a Hall of Famer and a very promising rookie. And you can project that rookie to one day do better than the Hall of Famer. But at, and then you kind of imagine him as that. But he's not there yet, folks. He's got a long ways to go before he can get into the hey, Hall. His career could be hamstrung by a devastating injury, like if he slips in the bathtub yeah. while trying to drink the water. Well, <laughs> I mean, look at this week, though. Look at this week. So there's that disastrous Kurdistan referendum where Barzini's his big ploy failed. Uh, P.U.K. gets totally fucking... The Kurdish Prishma guy gets totally run over by the Iraqi military. Uh, The claim in, like, the Michael Weiss neocon foreign policy consensus blob world is that it's Iran invading Kurdistan, this place that we didn't decide existed until now. And it's Iran because it's Iraq, because they... uh, Iran... There's the popular mobilization militias in there. But... We also trained the Iraqi army, and we also trained the Kurds, and we also f- armed both of them. And But that whole thing, whatever Trump does with that, whatever fucking insane thing happens, whether it's him running an aircraft carrier aground in the fucking, uh, in the fucking port, uh, like in the port of Tehran, like running it aground in the Persian Gulf and turning it into a fucking pressure cooker when Iranian speedboats cook it up, us losing a war with Iran, whatever fucked up thing that happens, it's there because George Bush invaded yes. Iraq yes. and sent a fucking, a bunch of fucking kids who, if they were born like later, they would be wearing diapers with TPUSA. But because they were born at the right time, they were sent to rebuild this country we didn't understand and thought we could figure out because we thought they, weren't, they were all Arabs or they were all one type of Muslim or they were all this and we were going to impart our way of life on it. Just this imperialist fucking colonialist nonsense and bullshit. I just like, and like, this is what you get. An addendum to this is also uh, Nancy Pelosi just said in a speech this week, wouldn't it be nice if Mitt Romney were president of the United States? Jeez, dream on. (laughs) Yeah, that would be great. We can't live in this utopia in your imagination. (laughs) (laughs) And I just gotta say, like, again, anyone who's wondering, like, how could this happen with Trump or, like, why is this happening, look no further than the fact that we allowed George W. Bush and everyone associated with administration to basically get away scot-free with one of the... I don't know, one of the worst crimes in American history. And I want to read here, this is what Stephen Walt said. This is the first 280-character tweet that's been worthwhile. It cannot be stated enough. This is Stephen Walt just the other day. He said, here's an intriguing counterfactual. Imagine that every pundit who advocated for the Iraq war in 2003 had been let go and replaced by someone who had opposed it. Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and New York Times would be far more diverse, accurate, and interesting today. And like that's that's like a, a small point to make about the quality of our media, but I think it's indicative of a of a much larger phenomenon that everyone who cocked up this fucking disaster has not only not been punished, but has largely been rewarded from it. And even if they have 
if their career had been dinged in some way, they're now rehabbing it because they're not Donald Trump. Yeah, so, and, that, and that ratchet effect just keeps going. I can't wait for someone to wistfully cyber whatever the fucking thing that comes after Twitter is, some sort of brain implant that puts 140 characters directly <laughs> in your That makes you feel anxiety. Like, We're going back yeah. to Google+. Yeah. Plus. Somebody going, you know what? I didn't always agree with President Trump. In fact, I thought he was a pretty bad president, but unlike President Baked Alaska, he does not... <laughs> He does not give his press conferences on the toilet. Uh, there's one person, though, I want to bring up, especially, who was not a fan of the George W. George w. Bush speech denouncing Trump and white supremacy, and that is friend of the show, Kurt Schlichter, <laughs> who says, I stood up for George W. Bush in the face of horrendous attacks and never questioned his motives, even when he did things I didn't necessarily agree with. He paid me back today by calling me a racist. <laughs> I love that he's like a child who just learned his favorite sports star has been doping. <laughs> yeah. He said, George. I believed in you. George, you are Fredo to me. I don't want to know you or what you do. These I love people that- have seen one movie. They've seen one movie. We were all rooting for you. I, I, I love. He's tiring. I, I love that the in this analogy, Kurt Schlichter, the fucking bowling pin shaped mid level lawyer who's written town hall columns for thirty years, he's Michael Corleone. He's the icy crime boss. Right. This guy who's posted a million times about how his wife is on, is on a cruise. <laughs> I do like the idea of these guys. To act, talk, who who fucking carried water for uh, Bush for eight years unquestionably, just total fucking zombies, and now they think that he owes them something. Like he never knew who the fuck you were, you idiots. He didn't give a shit. Yet Bush did not give a shit about the conservative blogosphere. The only people who remember all that shit are Will. Me, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and no, that's it, like I, the intimacy thing that like a lot of like really pathetic right wingers have, where they think they have this personal relationship with these figureheads that don't care about them. Or in many ways, one of the th- recurring things with Milo was that like, he clearly had contempt yes. for these unfuckable cishet slobs that he had no use for whatsoever. It, it, mirrors, it mirrors the right-wing Protestant relationship with God, though. It's like, it's not that you worship God, it's that you had a conversation with God. What was Bush always saying? I have a close relationship with God. I asked God if we should pull Terry Schiavo's fucking blood. <laughs> it's I, I just the want, same thing. It's I the want, same brain I bug. want Kurt to really, really take... I, wanna, I, wanna, I wish he would unblock me so I could just let him know this. Kurt, listen to this. Someone send this to him. I guarantee you that George W. Bush likes, admires, and has positive feelings towards Hillary Clinton way more than he does you. 100%. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. It's not a contest, dude. <laughs> also, just uh, an interesting side note about how they've only seen one movie, which is The Godfather <laughs> 1 and 2. That was also the only movie Saddam Hussein ever saw and watched <laughs> over and over and over again for obvious reasons. So, like, yeah, we're talking about the like the the disastrous res- you know resurrection of George W. Bush as a a serious political figure or as some kind of foil to Trump's Republican Party, which is diseased and awful and contaminated by Russia, whereas the Republican Party of Dick Cheney and Karl Rove was, hey, we didn't agree with them, but at least they were honorable and loved America. I have two reading series this week that are about sort of the uh, like I said, like the democratic party response to this and the way they are continue to, I don't know, metabolize their loss to Donald Trump and interpret it 
as they always do, as we need to go to the right again, because that's the way that where the country is. And for the sake of realism and, you know, being pragmatic, we're going to go to the right even further. The first one is an article. This is an op-ed that was ran in The Hill today by Mark Penn. Ah, yes. This is, uh, the, the headlines is why the polls are still wrong. <laughs> and this is Mark Penn, whose job is a pollster, right? Like, he's a political he was strategist. A strategist. strategist. He was a strategist. Uh, he would commission polls. His whole, his whole thing was micro-targeting, is that he would find very that's narrow... that's been, like, completely debunked by oh, this oh, point. Oh, it's, it's garbage. Uh, it, it was narrow slices of the electorate being specifically targeted on their issues, like NASCAR dads. Like he, he was the soccer moms first. guy, right? Yeah, soccer moms, crossbow uncles, uh, <laughs> CrossFit teens. Uh, yeah. Uh, fucking... Uh, Curling lesbian ass. Yes. Moms who go to town with Hot Wheels tracks. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. Just at the bottom of this op-ed... Kratom so, gamers. <laughs> Overwatch podcasters. <laughs> But at the bottom of this uh, op-ed, it says, Mark Penn is co-director of the Harvard-Harris poll and was a pollster for Bill Clinton during six years of his presidency. Uh, the fact that Mark Penn gets to publish anything where he offers his political expertise and his bio doesn't say, Mark Penn, complete fraud and failure, is, I think, a travesty yeah, of journalism. His, his malpractice in the 2008 Hillary Clinton campaign is legendary. He is almost single-handedly responsible for her blowing an insurmountable fucking lead to Barack Obama. He was unaware that there was proportional allocation of delegates in states like California. And he put, he created a strategy uh, that ignored caucus states that were very delicate, rich and often winner take all in favor of big states that he was unaware until it was too late. Some nobody ever told him were apportioned proportionally, which meant that he wasn't getting the big delegate halls. He thought he was from winning states like California. It, it was stunning idiocy. And she rightfully kicked him out for 2016 and people were like oh good she's got somebody and hired Robbie Mook it's like, with it's like Robbie he went fucking Mook it's like he he went to like a different country uh like you know the UK or something and it's like oh okay well well the big the big coins are worth more because they're bigger <laughs> yeah because that's, that's exactly the, they're it. the big yeah. ones he and then Robbie Mook had a different brand of snake oil which was we can we can project this stuff from polling data and not have to actually have any kind of uh, campaign on the ground because we can we can sort of pick and choose based on on these algorithms and that was just as much hogwash and the thing is they're going to find another fucking snake oil salesman some other huckster next time because they're going to do anything that avoids having to actually change their uh, policies and, and their and their appeals because that's just not on the agenda as we saw from the dnc bloodbath where all oh, anybody right. even it's close to sanders this yeah all, the sanders yeah. people all got all got murked talking about god by the way sorry to go go back to that remember when everyone was saying folks i don't get why everyone's so upset there's literally no difference yeah. between tom perez yeah. and keith ellison yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess and, we're learning what the difference is. Yeah, now. yeah, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they had an elect. They had a contest because there were differences. <laughs> it's almost like that's what happened. Yeah, and somebody's going to show up in four years or three years with a suitcase and a seersucker suit <laughs> and a fucking dousing rod <laughs> and going to say, "I can find the votes. <laughs> Just give me a few shiny pennies and I'll find the votes for the you." The entire Democratic Party is being manipulated by monorail salesmen. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, Lyle Landley. Is uh, there a chance Wisconsin could bend? Not in your life, my Hindi friend. There's just a, there's just a chalkboard and it says intersectional. <laughs> Uh, so like okay, the, the, I'm only gonna read a little bit of the, of the Mark Penn piece because I want to get to the other one that honestly made me more angry than almost anything I've read of recent note. But like basically, he begins the piece by basically stating why Donald Trump's poll numbers are low, but don't be fooled by that because he's actually more popular than the polls would lead you to believe. And you know, Democrats paid that price on election night for like underestimating him. And he goes here. Um, uh, he says, uh, this is about in the middle of the article, he says, we see the same dynamic being played out over and over again. The president grabs the spotlight with strong statements, typically on Twitter, of his policies, for which he is savaged as over the top on social and mainstream media. Then, over time, he often wins the underlying policy argument. You can see how this played out on, eco- on the economy and taxes, the national anthem, attacks on bad trade deals, and calls for more border controls. What? No, no, and he goes, remember, Americans liked President Obama for his way with words and his calm leadership style. They just opposed many of his policies, so Obama's numbers gave a false sense of approval. Trump is the mirror opposite. People are put on edge by his words while favoring a lot of the positions he is taking on issues. What fucking yeah. NF- what yeah, NFL win did he get? The NFL just came out and said they're not going to force anybody to stand for the anthem. Well, I saw a Ben Garrison cartoon that showed a gigantic Trump wearing an NFL uniform, uh, pointing to the uh, commissioner of the NFL, who's like, you know, just... Uh, cowering. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, cowering in a fetal position, trembling, pissing himself. And Trump goes, had enough yet? And then on the scoreboard, it's like Trump 72, NFL 0. <laughs> so I think that counts as a win. He goes here, the, Mark Penn writes, the failure to understand the 2016 election was in large measure not a failure of the final polls, many of which showed a close race, but a failure to understand the powerful storyline of Trump's appeal with his respect for cops and the military. We love our cops. <laughs> yeah. Taking a more aggressive position against our enemies and pushing for tax and healthcare reform. His style is not what won him the presidency. It was, remarkably, his substance. This is like this speaks to the central disease of like the Democratic Party's leadership and political class. Like the idea that they think that they can out love cops and the military. Like, we were just talking about. Remember the Democratic convention this summer? It was a parade of law enforcement and generals and ex CIA people, and they were everything was just kissing the American flag and the fucking cops and the military. They, they brought out the uh, uh, mothers of uh, young black men who were killed by the police, and then they brought out the police officers who killed those young men. <laughs> yeah, they, they. Yeah, then the hologram of Chris Kyle. <laughs> But uh, he goes. I he says it is by uh, watching the underlying public. It is by watching the underlying public sentiment of what he is doing and not his methods that you'll see how polling better watch out here as reality versus research will again be tested and reality God. always wins. So he's an unmeasurable so, quantity. So like he's saying that Donald Trump by Donald Trump's policies he means like getting mad at the NFL, not like his legislative agenda, which is. Amazingly unpopular and has gone nowhere. Nowhere. Uh, he's uh, talking uh, about winning. Well, here's what he says. Well, wait, 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 wait. You, wh- by what basis do you say his uh, domestic agenda is unpopular? Um, the, no one wanted AHCA. Uh, what What are you basing that on? Where oh you, where my you God! Get you're, that right, you're right. <laughs> Americans you don't like. They don't like AHCA or BRCA. But when you ask them, like, 
do you want to do you want to have a five thousand dollar a month premium and your copay doesn't kick in until twelve thousand dollars? They're like, yes, absolutely. Here, okay, here's what, here, Mark here, Penn's right. Here's what he says about this. He says, uh, as to Trump's agenda and Congress, he goes, Mitch McConnell is now the least like politician on the scene today, and he goes, yeah, the but remar- that's because his face. <laughs> he goes, the remarkable thing is that in response to a president ready to sign their legislation, the Republican leadership is committing harakari in failing to pass the very thing that won them their elections, opposing Obamacare, enacting tax reform, taking a tougher position on Iran. Remember when they invited Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to address Congress on the Iran deal? Penn goes on to say that the best thing the Democrats can do going into 2018 and 2020 is work with Trump and the Republicans in Congress to pass big things like tax reform and getting tough on North Korea and Iran. Things that only okay, the first Republican of all, being wants. able to... if. And I've I've been like harping on this for a while now, but if Obamacare fails, it won't because Trump is savvy. It's because it's a shitty program that literally even the beneficiaries hate having to use. Yes. And I think what's telling about Mark Penn in this, where he's like, surprise, surprise, the, the way for Democrats to victory is to enact or just work together to create these center right goals. This is what he always this is this is what he believes in. This is not strategy. Yeah. This is he represents a class of people that want tax reform, that want a market-based solution to healthcare, that want a sort of confrontation, if not war, with Iran. Yeah, their entire strategy has always been to cloak their agenda in the language of technocracy and empiricism and say, look, this is the country we have. This is how you win elections. Even though they get their shit pushed in and get their ass kicked all the time, no, we didn't do it enough. I'm sorry. Do you have barbecue sauce on your socks? I don't think it's barbecue sauce. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean, know. How do you actually. get it on your socks? I don't Which know. It's very easy to get it on your socks. Cradled by Crocs, still, even though you said you had healed and could wear adult man shoes. It's very easy to get. I don't barbecue know what this is crocs. on the socks. It's some sort of stain. I will. Admit, I'll admit that. I'm not going to say that it was barbecue sauce. Also, yes, I don't need to wear the Crocs anymore, but they're very comfortable. Do you want to continue the recording? We've detected that your shoes are a fan. <laughs> the shoes are a fan. It's just like the last thing I want to say about like Mark Penn and this idea of like specifically about presidential elections because this is where you know he made his bones or whatever. They, like, the, the Democrats seem to think that, like, they're like, oh, if you go to the left, get ready for another McGovern-Nixon, right? And it's like, in a presidential election, does it really matter how much you lose or win by? What matters is winning. And, like, let's say the Democrats ran a really left-wing candidate and lost by some big margin. Would that be any worse than actually losing to Donald Trump? And it should be like. No- they just ran their perfect candidate and lost to literally the worst presidential candidate in well, yeah, American and history. And a lot of that has to do with like our structure. We don't have a parliamentary system. It's not like it's not like we have some sort of uh, you know political arrangement where it makes sense to make these alliances. Like we have a two-party fucking winner takes all. Yeah, bloodbath. It, sh- it should be noted too that that Nixon in '72 had basically no coattails in Congress. He had, he 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 underperformed in that in that regard. And then there were, and then the Democrats made huge gains in seventy in seventy four. So the idea that there was some sort of apocalypse is 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 just a part of it's a basically it's part and parcel of the mythology. It's, that yeah, allows it's exactly these it's mythology. It is yeah. a spook story to scare yes. young Democrats. Yeah. And, and it's also like I mean, 
This is the forgotten thing about the 2008 Hillary campaign, that it was everything they accused the Bernie campaign of. But it's Ding. interesting that he keeps bringing up 72, because what's what's the big thing about 72? 90% of the fucking electric was white. It's a pretty fucking big difference now. But, like, Mark Penn, who his big campaign that he fucked up eight years ago was just pure white resentment and weird, like kind of racial anxiety identity politics from a center-right perspective, that's is clearly informed everything that he's ever done in politics. And the, the assumption I always go by is that the people who voted in the last election are the only people who are going to show up in the next election. And so that's already faulty, obviously, because there's a huge pool of non-voters who can be fucking engaged with. And, and we know that because... Uh, voting participation fluctuates from election to election it's never s stable and the other thing is is that why in the world would any voter prefer the candidate that just said me too to an agenda than to the party that carried it out if they liked the policies why wouldn't you vote for the party that was in charge when the policies were, were fucking I mean, put forward. More to the point, and this is just like, just the disingenuousness of his argument is just breaking my brain. Trump won election with under 46% of the popular vote, and there's very little chance that if he runs again in 2020, he would get any higher than that. And your idea is to, your argument that you're making with a total straight face is that uh, we should do what this guy is doing. This is... Sorry, this is appealing. One last thing about Mark Penn. He uses, again, he says the Democrats need to start saber rattling about North Korea and Iran and joining with Donald Trump. In like, because they haven't been. Yeah, because they haven't been so far. And this is, this is a great line here. He goes, Iran's national anthem is death to America, and no one is taking a knee to that one I over there. <laughs> By the way, after this article, I agree with them. But <laughs> yeah. check the fucking... The center right guys love doing this, like having a thing where it's like the Democrats should like do common sense solutions. By the way, death to the Shia dogs. Someone should look into Mark Penn's client list right now and whatever fucking bullshit company he's running. Because but also, I Democrats you, are already a hawk party. Yeah. So it's not even like who are you trying? How can they? They They've torpedoed. been rattling the sabers. They already. torpedoed the Iran. They like helped fuck the Iran deal by instituting new sanctions on Iran as part of a compromise because they were going to get Trump in this by your logic, you have to sanction Russia and the Republicans wouldn't pass it unless they tacked on Iran sanctions. And the Democrats were like, sure, we'll take one of uh, our last president's signature achievements for this bill that Trump will sign anyway and everyone's forgotten about. Yeah. Fucking moron. You're never, it's like his thing about how Trump won because of his, he showed respect for cops in the military. The Democrat, you were never going to out kiss the troops when it comes to the Republicans. They ran a guy who won the third highest decoration in the military and they were just like, no, you didn't get that. You suck. <laughs> like, it doesn't work that way. Trump you literally kissed a flag. Are, are you, oh, remember was, that? Yeah. Oh, God. What's the they dumber just, thing you're going to do? They refuse to believe that the fact, the truth, that that parties are brands and they stand for certain things in people's minds. And that transcends everything. That's why Democrats are ruined by sex scandals that Republicans can survive. Well, but it's, it transcends everything because they don't have actual politics. Well, of course. That's the it's underlying not, Let's not be completely cynical about this. Theoretically, actual politics do very well. It would be nice if they tried them, but they don't because they're a bunch of well, fucking... Well, that's just it. These guys 
are operating in a world where they don't want the Democratic Party to have actual policies, but they won't accept that when that happens, when you don't have policies, then you're just a brand and not acknowledge what that brand stands for and not realize that what that means is that Republicans... The president can say, hey, uh, you want 25 grand for your dead kid and then not give it to him. And that that's fine. Or he had his own Benghazi, right? Like that thing in Niger. There was a guy that one of those guys, the guy whose whose parents he called and said or his wife called and said, hey, you know what he was signing in for? His body wasn't found for 48 hours. That's the kind of thing that would have. Had them shit out their stomach lining if that had Obama happened. Obama would have been Obama. impeached. He would have been impeached instantly over that. There is like a slobs versus snob satisfaction that I do get out of it. I mean, like you watch the Democrats come in and audition, you know, every fucking election, and all they do is brag about their unpaid internships, and then a Republican comes in and just like whips out his dick and throws it on the podium, and I'm like, yeah, that was funny. Like, yeah, I like you. Okay, I don't want them to win, but it's not like you deserve to win. Yeah. Right. It's the thing we always say. It's like the Democrats so richly deserve to lose. It's just the people they lose to are such pieces of shit. Too. I mean, uh, Elliot Spitzer had a prostitution scandal. He had to fucking resign from office. David Vitter not only was caught in the black book of Diping a prostitute, yeah, but yeah. he was a fucking diaper he pervert. Was diaper okay, but he was pointing out safe spaces. He's pointing out safe spaces. He got fucking reelected to the Senate in Louisiana because because of the brands associated with Democrats and Republicans. Republicans are basically immune to sex shit. I mean, how many Republican congressmen have had been found that they've pressured girlfriends into having abortions? Like 10 of them? That guy did just resign, though. He, okay, he, he's he, the first one, though. Yeah. And the other ones have there come was forward. The, ten, the senator from Tennessee, right? Uh, the, uh, yeah, there was a congressman, a congressman from Louisiana was another one, yeah. and I, I think he tried to stick it out, but I think he and lost they, his And they can say fuck off to the troops in any way they want to because they're the party of troops and cops. That's just the end of the story. They are immune from those scandals. You can't get, Trump will, they will never be mad at Trump for anything he says or does with the military. One of the first things he did when he got in office was send an ill-fated botch raid into Yemen that got a Navy SEAL killed, killed a child, and then blamed the generals for it, and nobody even remembers that, because, because it's, it's their troops. Republican. It's their troops versus the other troops. Yes. It's never, they they set up this linguistic confine of like, well, you know, say what you want, but support the troops, and all these fucking Democrats are like, yeah, yeah, we'll support the troops so much that every candidate will run will be a fucking troop. But they don't mean your troops, they don't mean all yeah. troops, they mean theirs, because they understand. It doesn't work for you. Right, they understand politics as a contest of resources and also a game of tribes. Donald Trump, all that fucking bullshit Mark Penn wrote, Donald Trump won. I mean, he didn't win from a surge of voting. Like, no one fucking voted this year compared to other years. But he won the people that he did because he was all cultural signifiers. He would say contradictory policy things every fucking week, but it was all signifiers. This is our type of guy. He has our type of resentments. He has our type of rage. Well, and because of and because of Hillary's failure. Yeah. And, yes. Well, that's the thing. Amber is 100% right. The only way to break out of that dichotomy is to actually propose policies, is to actually break through this shit status quo that just says everyone's life is just going to keep getting slightly worse every day and there's nothing we can really do about it because of the market. If you say actually that's not the case, then it's not a fucking contest of brands anymore. But these guys they won't do that. These guys simultaneously want to want to uh, stop any argument about basic policy changes and also think that they can win on this branding level that they are absolutely outflanked on and can never win. This is the perfect segue into our final reading series for this week, which is, you know, 
Take take a sip of beer now because this is even more <laughs> enervating than, than the Mark Penn one. This is by former Obama administration official Cass R. Sunstein, uh, husband to Samantha Power. Hold on, hold on, disclosure, disclosure. Cass Sunstein was my neighbor growing up. <laughs> what? I'm not kidding. Uh, did you ever have like a baseball land in his yard? No, like his no, 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 no. His like his his like daughter like asked me to her house to eat pizza with her when we were both like nine. Did you go? Yeah. How, what was the house like? I don't I remember being in the backyard and what thinking... What was the pizza like? Did you say Hasid pizza? <laughs> no, I didn't say Hasid pizza. Oh, I misheard the you. The pizza was cheese pizza, no which I thought was boring. Uh, and it was in a backyard, and I thought, do they eat pizza in their backyard? That's kind of weird. And then I uh, predicted what Samantha Power would do about Syria. And I was like, <laughs> ma'am... How dare you? Well, they, well, presumably, Cass, they, they weren't married at the time you went over there. But I knew they were going to be married okay. at one Cass, time. Cass, gas, or grass. No one rides for free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is in Bloomberg View, which, by the way, low-key, one of the worst opinion mills in well, existence. That's where McArdle writes. Yeah, that's where McArdle writes. That's all you need to that's know. That's all you need to know. This, this, honestly, this piece is McArdle-esque. Headline. Russia is using Marxist strategies, and so is Trump. Hell yes. Noted Marxist Donald Trump. The, the subhead is Moscow's meddling in the U.S. election was aimed at soaking social tensions. Sound familiar? I'm, just, I'm diving in. Cass writes, Karl Marx and his followers argued that revolutionaries should disrupt capitalist societies by, quote, heightening the contradictions. That's... You know, keep going, never mind. Russia used a version of that Marxist idea in its efforts to disrupt the 2016 presidential campaign. It should come as no surprise that the most powerful nation from the former Soviet Union, whose leaders were schooled in the Marxist tradition, is borrowing directly from that tradition in its efforts today. What is more surprising and far more important for American politics is that President Donald Trump is drawn to a similar strategy. Guys, still with me here? Goes, Marx contended that as the conditions of workers started to improve, they would cease to be content with their lot or to regard their alienation as inevitable. Lenin seized on this idea and transformed it into a revolutionary strategy. He goes on to describe how, you know, Lenin urged that as capitalism developed, workers would see or be made to see the contradictions between the official story of their universal freedom and actual inability to have real control over their lives, and blah, blah, blah. It's the job of the communists to make them aware of that or accelerate the... That all sounds very accurate to me. Uh, So he goes, during the 2016 campaign... Russians did something very much like that, not to produce a revolution, but to deepen and intensify social divisions and to help elect Donald Trump. So not at all Marxist then. I I really do, though, enjoy like watching kind of like race be constructed in front of my very eyes and having Slavs being made into congenitally Marxists yeah. somehow. Well, they were schooled in the Marxist tradition. The, so the yeah, moment, it's, not, it's inscribed in the, to their, their DNA at this point. The moment your nutsack touches that pavement, uh, you believe in the labor theory of value. <laughs> <laughs> but you notice how he was describing, heightening the contradiction, it was about economic conditions, and then he just turns that into social conflict, which is yes. not the same thing. So no. Marxism is just stirring up shit. Yeah. Marxism yeah. is when you uh, complain. Shitposting. As, as, com- as Karl Marx said, I'm a messy bitch who loves drama. <laughs> yeah. When you complain about fake friends on Facebook, that's well, Marxism. You know, this is what he's talking. He's literally talking about Facebook. 
Cass writes, mimicking American voices, they used Facebook to energize and inflame a diverse assortment of political groups, oh. gay rights supporters, African-American activists, Texas secessionists, and opponents of immigration. Some of their efforts vigorously defended gun rights. And then he goes like, that they played both sides. And he goes here, he says, in short, the Russians tried to foster a sense of grievance and humiliation on all sides. The goal was to intensify social divisions and to contribute to an atmosphere of mutual suspicion and but anger. But not class divisions. No, no, just divisions, social That's divisions. That's not the same thing. <laughs> Calm down. Um, oh, man, one bad neighbor. <laughs> Even if Hillary Clinton had won... Russia's strategy might have proved effective. As a Russian participant in a similar campaigns recently said, our goal wasn't to turn Americans toward Russia, but instead to provoke unrest and discontent. This is literally the argument that reactionaries made against the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Yes. Yeah, this is all... um, Moscow plot. a specific phrase, though. Yeah. Outside agitators. Outside agitators. Outside agitators provoking that, you know... You know, our, our blacks here in the South, they're happy, they're content. Beware but then someone, the someone came riling them and up. sowed discord and social division. Yeah, so, I mean, so there is an article this week, a uh, Daily Beast article, of course, that was like, Russia funded these YouTube videos. And it was like just a, it was like a YouTube video. It was like a, a black guy and he would make anti-Hillary videos. But they would... They were like, the entire story never mentioned how many views the videos got, just that it was funded by a Russian source and it was like this, supposed to sow social divisions. People looked it up. Joe Prince looked it up. Literally 40 views. <laughs> all of them. Money well. Rubles well spent. Yeah. All those 40 views were in Michigan and Wisconsin. Right. But, but we're talking about the troll farms, which like is a thing that's been written about a few times Um uh, Adrian Chen wrote yeah, a really. Yeah, I remember that. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, he went to go investigate like the troll farms uh, that are, you know, they're government funded in Russia. But we also have troll farms here. Yeah, we do. Well, and like, also, it's, it's not. A, my, 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 my father was a troll farmer. His father was a troll farmer. The government's been paying us not to troll for some two generations now. <laughs> but I. I mean, but but it's it, like that. The thing, the, the like, what if Russian intelligence did spend money on those videos? It proves Good. it proves like something that is everyone has thought for a while that every intelligence agency is made up of fucking idiots. Yeah, stick to dash cam videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The main cine- the main post-Soviet cinematic contribution yeah. is still dash cam videos. Is it like what if it's their Mark Penn who's like in charge yeah. of, of this? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Mark Pinovich. Uh, we, can we uh, the, can we establish contact with Jake Paul? <laughs> well, there is man on YouTube. So he uh, he is large man. He sit in car front seat. <laughs> he uh, consume large uh, fast food item in face. Sometime he uh, vomit uh, sausage chorizo from nose. <laughs> I would like to give this man much money. <laughs> we <laughs> we have we have uh, made contact with the American political. Political activist, scientist, and athlete Daniel Quinn. <laughs> All we have to do is to release statement uh, validating stevia. Okay. What I want to say, uh, by the way, if that first half you thought that was good, it's yeah. going to get even better. But what I want to oh, say about no. this first half 
is that he says that like what Russia did during this election was create a climate where people felt divided, suspicious of each other, and angry Russia at their fellow did Americans. That, totally, yes. Yeah. Does that doesn't that sound like every election you've experienced in your from childhood no. to your adult life? No, both. It's candidates- almost like uh, politics are about conflict. Yes. Yeah. Now, every year before this year, both candidates went out there and said, "Vote for whoever." No, you guys they, forget. They, they said they both candidates came out and said it was a good game. Both teams played hard. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are forgetting that America is great because America is good. So we would never be divided along racial and ethnic lines like this. Okay. And have All right. deep antipathy to our guys, fellow citizens. Guys, strap in. It's going to get... It's, it's, it's I don't know if I can take it. It's about oh, to get God. lit. Cass writes, which brings us to the White House. Every president has his own strategy for dealing with periods of acute difficulty. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, and Ronald Reagan worked to disarm their opponents with charm, grace, and humor. (laughs) (laughs) Ronald Reagan would commit slapstick acts like forgetting his friend's name and shitting his pants. (laughs) And and misremembering that he didn't liberate a concentration camp during World War II. Oh my, first stolen valor president. Ronald Reagan's strategy was literally talking to his wife's astrologer during difficult times. That's That's not a joke. That's the only cool thing. FDR is is No, I love that though because like it means we already had our own Rasputin. <laughs> yeah. That's not Rasputin. Rasputin did his bullshit. Astrology is true, though. It's true. FDR had yeah, well, you such would hom- say that. <laughs> FDR had sure? such homey science. and disarming tactics as threatening to pack the Supreme Court and uh, running primary candidates against all of his own people in 1936 because he was all about homey, nice, disarming people. He goes on to say, Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton moved to the center. That's how they dealt with acute political difficulty. Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton moved to the center. George H.W. Bush and Barack Obama tried to get down to business and do something significant and concrete. This is gibberish. None of those three things are similar in any way. They don't mean anything. That's the important thing. None of them mean anything. They have no actual content. Getting getting to Matt, business and trying get, to get things done? What the fuck are you talking well, about? If you're going to get this mad about his mischaracterization of the administrational legacies of multiple presidents, I don't think you're going to make it to the end. <laughs> well, Barack Obama rolled up his sleeves and he got down a brass tax. And that's, that's leadership. He got down to brass tacks and did Benghazi. Yeah. That's a, uh, <laughs> yeah, TCB taking care of Benghazi. <laughs> Okay, here he goes. Here he goes. By contrast, Donald Trump heightens the contradiction. He tries to provoke unrest and discontent with a clear intuition that they are his best friends. Okay, stop, stop. I have to just say, this motherfucker clearly never read Nixon Land. Uh, that, Great book. Yeah, and it talks about how his uh, Nixon's campaign... His re-election campaign in 72 was based on heightening social conflict. He let no, no, hippie he moved protesters... No, he moved to the center. No, he, <laughs> let, he intentionally let hippie protesters into speeches during his first term in order for them to cause shenanigans and then to get kicked, it, kicked out and to call attention to all of these bums and malcontents uh, who were opposing the silent majority. Matt, His whole no, thing was he, about he, heightening contradictions. Matt, he moved to the center. No, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't move to the center. He I'm in- heightening the contradictions. <laughs> right this, the Congress had majorities of New Deal Democrats in it. He couldn't govern any other way than from the center, but he actually got and kept I power wanna- by 
By stoking and heightening social conflict. No, I wanna, actually, I wanna, I wanna actually point... he uh, got down, he rolled up his sleeves and said, let's get busy, y'all. <laughs> well, no, no, I think it counts as moving to the center if you uh, uh, expand a war you promised you would end and then commit war crimes <laughs> uh, and then end it. And speaking right of war crimes, Cass Sunstein's he wife... He moved to the center of Cambodia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, speaking of which, the connection here with Cass Sunstein's wife, Samantha Power, is best friends with Henry Kissinger yes. and accepts awards from him and goes to Yankees games. Go to yep. Yankees games. He goes to yeah, Yankees games shit. with a guy. And whose book on genocides after World War II has not a single mention of Indonesia. Indonesia yep. the, one of the largest massacres post-World uh, War II. No, they, that wasn't a genocide. The they were getting busy. They were taking care of business. They were moving to this they center. were working overtime. Taking yeah. care of business <laughs> in War Congo. Taking care of business. Active killing. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, I just want to point this out about Cass. Uh, is I, I'm pretty sure now he's like ensconced at Harvard or came from Harvard and is generally regarded as a genius. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cass uh, rules everything around me. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what he goes. Um, I'm, I'm reading the whole thing, guys. So just, just bear with me. I don't know if I can handle this. He goes... He heightens the contradiction. He creates demons and scapegoats. That's also Steve Bannon's approach, and it captures what drew the two men together. That might be smart politics, but more fundamentally, <laughs> it appears to be Trump's gut instinct, his go-to approach when cornered or in trouble. In some cases, his statements look uncomfortably like Russia's Facebook ads. Ugh. The most obvious example oh in his long God. effort before running for office to convince Americans that Barack Obama was not born in the United States. As politician and president, consider his recent claim that Obama failed to call the families of fallen soldiers. His, by the way, this is not like 12-dimensional chess. Trump just doesn't know anything and no. says whatever comes to his mind. Yes. He goes, You're really over and, us. And, Are you dipping steak in mayonnaise? I'm just giving it a shot. It's cold. It's a good call. You've never had a roast beef with mayo. Like, yeah, come on. You. What's the difference? Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to skip a little keto. bit. I'm going to skip a little bit. He goes, while Trump's characteristic strategy is to intensify social divisions and to make what divides America as salient and visible as possible, that approach is more often associated with the left than the right, true to its Marxist origins. Here we go, guys. That's In the Marx United right. States, Senator Bernie Sanders has long been drawn to this approach, arguing that the interests of good, decent, ordinary people are sharply opposed to those of the powerful and supposedly evil actors, such as, quote, the banks. Harvey Keitel, bad <laughs> lieutenant thing right now. I, I, I spent, um, I've spent a lot of time in the neighborhood that John Wayne Gacy lived in in Chicago, and by far, Sunstein is my worst neighbor ever <laughs> in the city. By far. So goes, As Sanders' influence has grown, the Democratic Party has moved to the left, sometimes with the proposals that are rooted less in careful policy and an analysts. Sorry. Sometimes with policies that are rooted less in careful policy analysis than in a Manichaean view of American society. Here we go. This is the last line. As the Russians know... Heightening the contradictions is dangerous for the American people. Here's a much better idea. E pluribus unum. Oh! oh ah! Cass Sustine, real hip-hop music. <laughs> we love our pluribus and our union. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> 
That's like the fucking civics nerd version of ending a tweet with, um, how about no? <laughs> Wasn't that the whole basis of Hillary Clinton's stupid fucking campaign that lost? Yes. Yes, it was. Yes. Yes, it was. That was the entire... Pr- Matt, they, Matt, she moved you're to the right. center. And she fucking lost! <laughs> I just, they act like it didn't happen. They think, oh, but they think Trump got into office by, like, answering a riddle from the Sphinx. <laughs> it's, worth, it's worth remembering, Gas Dunstein is uh, paid to be an intelligent person. <laughs> People think he is, he's a brilliant. Uh, Obama read his book. He's a libertarian. He's Guess not a liberal or anything. And Obama read his book and, and uh, uh, told reporters, like, these are just some fabulous ideas, and then put him in his fucking White House. Think, think how grotesque and condescending. He's going on. It's bad enough that he's being like, Russia is doing a Marxist plot to undermine America. As they do. Including supporting civil, you know, Black Lives Matters group and, or gun rights groups in America to heighten the country. Because Americans, yeah, because America needed the wasn't, Russians to tell them that they needed a childish, weird, psychosexual fixation on firearms. Yeah, like America wasn't racist or like addled with guns and like political division before the 2016, before Russia started getting, putting Facebook ads that literally 20 people saw. I love, but, I love getting, I love getting 78 fellowships from the King Fod Center for Democracy and working for Obama and writing an article saying that Darren Wilson is Russian. But like, <laughs> just the way he just works Bernie Sanders in there at that last paragraph. So he's, good. Like, he's part of it too. And the left is just as bad because they're heightening the country contradictions by pitting the interests of ordinary Americans against supposedly evil banks. It's just, it's this amazing collection of just associations. It's Russia's doing this. Russia used to be communist. So that's the connection. Even though Russia is a, is a predatory hyper-capitalist hell state. No, but they have the Slavic brain pan. Right. So it's just that's they what have like DNA, They have Marxism in their DNA. So they associate Marx with Russia, even though modern uh, Russia is is about the, the least communist country on earth, and then they connect it to Trump by that through that, but then they go to uh, well, they do divisions. Forget what the divisions are; they point out divisions, so they're Marxist, and that's bad. And then Bernie also points out divisions, even though the difference is. You know, the kind of insane idiocy of uh, black thugs, you know, undermining the flag or whatever bullshit versus you are being daily fucked by an economic elite that is unaccountable and in control of your lives. What, what, but I, also like the 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 kind of elite versus parole narrative is something that Trump used too. yeah, like it just depends on your spin on that thing. Well, that's the thing know? is that we have. This is, this is the real issue, is that we have divisions, obviously, because we have a ridiculously unequal society. We Unless have- you're Hillary Clinton, in which case it's all just a big misunderstanding. Yes, exactly. And for, the, and for Cass, the Cass Sunsteins of the world, their vision of politics in America is that these divisions are all artificially created. And that if people only knew better or, you know, would just follow the advice of their betters, there wouldn't be these divisions, and uh, that what, we could we could have smart policies because the smart people would be in charge. In what in I just want one of them to tell me how you reduce the conflict between a boss who wants to pay you as little as he possibly can to maximize his profits and you who wants to get paid as much as you can for your labor. Tell me a way to square that fucking circle that isn't a fucking hat that says America is already great. 
in summation uh, of Mr. Sunstein's arguments, uh, let's reinvade Iraq to protect it from Mongol invasion because their genetic memories will make them want to sack Baghdad again. Well, I know we've been ragging on Cass Sunstein and Samantha Power, but I do, and I don't agree with them, but I do think it is actually pretty romantic that they found love in the White House. So congratulations, you two. Yeah, I agree. They yeah, really yeah, did. They found love in a hopeless place. <laughs> <laughs> New Chapel sponsor, Fenty Beauty Products. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, that about does it for this week's show, but we would be remiss. Oh, wait, shout out to the team. No, 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 no. One last order of business. This about does it for this week's show, but we would be remiss if we did not end the show with a couple important shout outs. First, I want to give a shout out and a thank you to everyone who made our week in LA so much fun. Everyone we got a, who hosted us, graciously embraced us into the LA lifestyle, hung out with us. There are too many people to name. You know who we are, but love and thanks to all of you. Second is probably the real ray of sunshine this week would be our UPS Teamster Gray Wolves. Who Hell yeah. Did 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 a, did a shout out to us in a video to uh, back the, they're up they're tr- they're raising money to get them and uh, their their comrades together to go to the TDU convention in Chicago at the end of October. I want to give we're going to put the link uh, for their their Kickstarter. Um, wait, is it? Uh, it's a GoFundMe. Go I'm sorry. They're uh, the they're from Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, like I said, uh, we just want to give. Nothing but a shout out, nothing but solidarity to our friends from the Jacksonville TDU and their effort. Uh, like I said, they're saying UPS is going into a big contract negotiation next year with their union. They're under a lot of pressure from places like Amazon that are now directly competing with UPS. They're trying to negotiate a better better contract. These are guys who are from everything from shop stewards to part-time workers who are struggling for more hours but they are working hard for like their labor movement and have like you know work uh, like a real working class movement uh, in their union and their and in the TDU and I just want to say a shout out to them please check out their GoFundMe um, and uh, just kick in as we did uh, this week yeah also they're all my boyfriends now it's the law it's the law if we give you a retweet I get to pick from the labor men to join my harem all right guys. Um, Till next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Let's go, Knicks.